0: Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Kicking off a series called Come to the Table. And if you noticed, I replaced my uh, little table with a big table, a table that you can get some people around and eat at, thanks to uh, Greg, Pastor Greg, who resanded this. Thank you, Pastor Greg. And then Shay, actually you painted it, and then Shay painted it again. I don't know what that was about. But anyway, we got it here today. It's so, uh, so good, man. This entire series, I'm going to give it to you right up front, is about this. There's an invitation, a standing invitation to anybody who will hear it. There's a seat at the table for you. Will you come to the table? Will you come to the table? See, the whole series is about that. Here's the standing invitation to Jesus come to the table did you know that the table has been throughout history a central common point of connection it's been a place uh, where you know we all have to eat and so especially for centuries until the last 50 years everybody had a table in their home. It was a common place. People would sit and eat together. Families sit together. Friends would sit together. Now, today, you could argue that the table has become something of a storage rack instead in a lot in a lot of places. But there's still, even at restaurants, we go and we sit at tables. So it's something so common in everybody's life. When I think back on my own life, uh, I remember some of the greatest memories or fondest memories were at the table, sometimes at my grandparents' house, and seeing all the adults kind of sitting around and Kids had a little kids' table. If you know what I'm talking about, if you have one of those, we were at the kids' table, they were at the adult table, and we would sit around. But I just remember, you know, you don't realize you're in the middle of making memories, but then you look back and you realize what an amazing uh, memory it was. Uh, every year, when we go to the beach now, we always uh, make a big deal about our table time uh, because my family, and, you know, if you're where we are now, our kids are married and they have their own lives and everybody's busy. And some of you are like, I wish my kids were out of my house and married. That'd be awesome. You'll get there one day. Uh, but now we, we have to be so intentional. So what we do is uh, we plan out what we're going to eat at night. Sometimes it's spaghetti, whatever we cook for the night. But we get around the table. And I look back over the last couple of years, we've been blessed to go as a family. And it's amazing memories around the table. But here's another thing. I've studied the life of Jesus for for a lot of years. I, I wish I knew more than I do, and I'm still trying to learn. I want to know everything there is to know about Him. But as I read the Gospels all the way through, and then I read the rest of the New Testament, do you know something I found? There is a central... Common meeting place in the life of Jesus too. You know where it was—a table. I challenge you if you're you know like to read the Bible, read through the the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See how many references you find to Jesus being at a table. He ate at Matthew's table. It got him in trouble. Matthew was known as a a terrible uh, sinner and tax collector, and Jesus went to his house and ate with him. Why did they think he was a sinner? Why did they think so poorly of Jesus because he ate with him? Because when you go and you pull out a chair with someone and you share a meal with someone, you're actually saying that I can accept you as a person. We may not agree. We can sit at the same table, though, and we can have conversation. That's what Jesus did, but he got a bad rap because of who he ate with. Also, you could see it as Jesus fed 5,000 families one time and 4,000 families another time, and you could see that he turned a whole Judean hillside into a table. He literally spread out tens of thousands of people across the hillside, and he fed them. Also, do you know another famous table? Is the Lord's Supper table, the last supper where Jesus ate. He got up and washed their feet at a table. It's crazy. He told stories I found in scripture at a table. He was uh, walking on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection with two disciples, and they didn't recognize him until when? You read it. They sat down at the table to break bread together, and at the table, Jesus revealed himself. And so I keep finding these things. I even read in Revelation, if you read Revelation around chapter 19, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to happen in heaven, and guess where we're going to be? At a table. How are we all going to be at a table? I don't know, but I know we're going to be there. That's what it says. We're going to all be there. And so today we're going to look at one table in the life of Jesus. And this one challenged me and encouraged me, and I hope it'll do the same for you. So if you have a Bible, it's Luke chapter 10. And I give you a little bit of backstory before we start to read. Jesus had three really great friends. Uh, You may not even realize how good of friends they were in Scripture because we always know about his disciples. But he had three great friends Mary, Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. Now, Lazarus is a little more famous because he was, uh, we we know Jesus raised him from the dead. But Mary and Martha were big in the life of Jesus. They were like his family. Uh, they lived in a little town called Bethany, which was about six miles outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus spent a lot of time. And so it kind of seems common that when Jesus was passing through, he would stop and eat with his family, or maybe stay a few days. They were really close. And so they were like family to him. And so the first table we're looking at is the table of Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And so I've entitled the message today this: You might be a Martha, and you could add if. You might be a Martha. Now, I told Miss Martha Chapman, who's here this morning, I I told her last night, I said, Miss Martha, I'm not talking about you, because even though you are a Martha, you're not this Martha, though. And so, I want to see if the shoe fits for anybody in the house today, though. You might be a Martha, and give you a few things as we look at this. And so, verse 38, here's where we're going to pick up. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem... They came to a certain village, and even though it doesn't tell us here, we know that from other passages this was the city of Bethany, six miles outside Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into the home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he talked. And so, we don't know exactly what the inside of their home looked like, but it probably wasn't very big. It's probably a pretty, pretty modest place. And so, in that day, maybe they sat on the couch, and Mary actually sat in the floor. But I thought if you were to bring this into modern day terms, and you had a small house, and the gathering place is the table, uh, Jesus comes in and sits at the table, and Martha's still running around, checking on things, and Mary just comes and grabs a seat at the table, and Jesus is just talking. Because you know, when Jesus is talking, he's teaching. When he's talking, it's the Word of God coming out. She's going, I'm not going to miss this. I'm going to sit here. And so I thought, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you, you know, if you've been there before, uh, how you tell somebody else, look, it's fine. You just go ahead and sit down, and I'll finish the dishes, or I'll finish working. But then inside, you're like, "That sorry, dog. She's sitting over there while I'm, I'm trying to work right now. And so uh, all that's going down. I think that maybe was what's going on in her heart as you see. See, look at verse 40, what it says. It says, uh, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to the Lord, Jesus, and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here? Now, maybe at first she said, it's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Go ahead and sit down. But now, as she's in there cooking, it starts hitting her. She gets a little upset. She goes back in there, busts into the living room with the disciples. Some of the disciples were there, Jesus, and here's Mary at the feet of Jesus listening. And she busts in. She says, hey, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Sounds like some kids, some of y'all's households right there, right? Right. I do all the work and everybody else sits there and says, Jesus, tell her to come and help me. Now, it, it could have been okay if Jesus had just said, you know what, Mary, you have been sitting here in my word for a long time. Why don't you go on and help? But he didn't. Look what he says, verse 41. He said to her, my dear Martha. And in the old language here, he said her name twice, which was a, a way of saying endearment. Martha, Martha. Martha, this loving kind, he's trying to put her at ease, you know, because she is all riled up inside. How dare my lazy sister sit over here and while I'm in here slaving over y'all's dinner in the kitchen. And so, says, my dear Martha, 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 you're worried and upset. Another way to think of that is you're anxious and troubled about many things. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her so what is it we could see it like this sitting at the table with jesus is it that's it sitting at the table when jesus comes and sits down at your table how many times are we so busy in our lives and we have so much stress and worry and we're claiming to be followers and we claim to know that he could solve it for us and that he could speak peace over us but yet our our, the chair is there the invitation is there and jesus just sits and waits and we don't take him up on the offer. He says, Mary has discovered it. So think about it. When was the last time you just sat with no agenda around a table with your family? And maybe you're really great at this, and if you got little kids, listen, it's chaos. I get it. But when was the last time you got a few minutes where you just had a place where you could come together as a family and celebrate? Or even friends. Like just to, to, to put technology aside for a minute and just look at people in the eye again and you go, Joe, you sound really old school. Well, I, I ain't going to apologize. I guess I am. Because here's the thing. There's something special about looking people, face, small group of people getting around and looking each other in the eye. You know, stop and have coffee with somebody. Have time with, just be with your kids. Not having to watch them on the field or watch them do something, but just be with them. Spend some time with them. We need to be reminded of the invitation, come to the table. But as we do, I want to walk back through this passage here. And here's the context I want to lay over it. You might be a Martha if. Now the writer here tells us that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, but Martha was distracted with the big meal she was cooking. So it's important to note that Jesus doesn't seem to be getting on to Martha for not sitting at his feet. It's important to note that Jesus seems to be dealing with what's going on inside of her more than She could have been cooking and listening away. She could have been joyfully serving. I mean, how often do you get to cook like chicken and dumplings for Jesus? Probably not often, right? So why why not take advantage of it? That's her gift, cooking. She could have been listening and joyfully working and, and listening to the word of Jesus too. But it's important to know he wasn't getting on to her for working. He seemed to be getting at her heart, what was going on inside of her. And so here's the first one, though. You might be a Martha if you live distracted. What do you mean by that? I mean, you don't have any clarity and focus. You are constantly all over the place. And you go, well, Joe, I'm ADD. Listen, I get that. Because I grew up that way. They didn't diagnose us with that when I was a kid. You just got a lot of spankings and got changed classes a lot of times, all right? That's what happened when I was a kid. But here's the thing when you're all over, you, you have to be even more intentional when you're somebody that's wired like I am and your brain can go like 40 places at one time. While I'm preaching, I can be thinking about 17 different things. I'm like, God, you've got to help me focus today. You've got to help me focus on what's going on. We are so distracted in our culture that we're missing people. We literally are being distracted to the point that we're missing our lives. You can look back and a year can be gone or 10 years can be gone sometimes. And you've lived so distracted that you miss the joy and the beauty. And so part of the sitting at the table is so that you don't just live distracted. You live with purpose. Somebody said years ago to me that, I, that Satan's greatest tool that he uses is discouragement in the life of believers. And, and I do believe that. But you know what I think a close second is? distraction if he can't discourage you or just flat take you out let's just get you so busy feeling this weight and fear of missing out you got to do everything to the point that you are purposeless you do a lot see here's here's something I wish man if you're a young father in the room today and you got little ones in river kids or you got kids in your house man this is for you I, I wish I could go back and somebody would just speak this until I got it over me look at this just because you are busy, that does not mean you are doing what matters. Let that sink in for just a moment. Just because your life is busy, that doesn't mean that you're going to get to the end of the time raising your kids and go, I did what mattered. That doesn't mean you'll stand before the Lord one day and say, I did what mattered. God, I was busy, Lord. I filled my calendar with things. Sometimes I think this invitation of Jesus to come sit at his table, it helps us reorder our days and reorder our lives. You have to work. There's things you have to do. There are busy things in life, but I'm talking about even margin. Sometimes we work ourselves out of margin at all. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're doing what matters. Listen, take inventory for a moment. Do you feel like you're so distracted? Do you feel like you have to stay busy maybe so that you don't have to deal with what's going on in your heart? I wonder if that was Martha's deal. Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly because I've been every single one of these points I'll give you today, guilty. I might be a Martha on any given day. But here's my question. Might you be a Martha? See, another way to measure this... uh, is related to being distracted with a lot of things going on. It's almost saying the same thing, but I want to say it in a different way. You might be a Martha if, here it is, you are so preoccupied that you can't be present. Same as distracted, but instead of being busy physically maybe, like distraction sometimes is physical, it could be that your mental health is in such a poor place that you can no longer be present. We feed our minds so much information and, and you don't realize it, because as you scroll, you don't realize that your mind wasn't created to be able to take in 12,000 or 15,000 different uh, people's lives at one time. On any given scroll, you may learn three or 400 things going on in lives of other people, and you think, oh, that's just, that's just normal. If you're not intentional, what will happen is you will begin to live preoccupied. And it's not that you're always thinking about what's going on in other people's lives, it's just that you can't get any clarity anymore. You feel like there's been so much put on your mind and your mental health, your mental health goes down. And here's the danger of it. You don't even realize that your mental health's in a bad place at that point. You just think it's normal. You think that amount of stress is normal. And so when you don't realize that you're not in a mental healthy place, you know what happens? You avoid dealing with it. You don't deal with it. You don't get help. You don't go to counseling. You don't reach out to a friend. You don't begin to pray and unpack what's going on in your mind. You just live that way. And next thing you know, you're looking at people, but you can never look them in the eye. You look over their head at the next thing. You look at your kids, but you're just trying to get through that moment always. And you're just looking over them and looking to the next. We can just get to the next season. We can just get there. And So I wonder if maybe you might be a Martha. And Jesus today is going, hey, I love Martha too. And I want you to sit at the table. Listen, if you found that you can't put the phone down. If you found that you can't turn off the TV, if you find that you can't let the hunting land sit for a day, I know I'm going to get an ugly email on that one. If you find that you can't for a moment just go, you know what, I want to do what really matters. I don't want to stay so busy and so distracted. Every weekend I'm busy and every weeknight I'm busy. I'm constantly busy. If you find yourself to that point, you might need a reset in your life. Sometimes we need weekly resets or even daily resets. Martha had Jesus. think about it. She had Jesus in her house, and she was anxious and worried and stressed out. You ever thought if you know, well, if Jesus would just show up in my life, then I wouldn't be worried anymore. Here's case in point that I'm not sure that that's the case. just by being in the vicinity, she actually had to. Turn her heart to him. So what does it look like to reset your life? Sometimes it's just an intentional stopping when you're in a really busy season and you're overwhelmed. And sometimes life just throws all kinds of things at you and it's not even your fault. You have to sit down though and mark out some time. You go, God, I don't have much time, but Lord, I'm gonna give you five minutes just to sit at the table with you. It could be over a cup of coffee in the morning. Instead of, I can tell you one of my secrets, It, it determines a lot of my day. It's what I pick up first in the morning. Whatever I pick up first, and it's not always just bad things, but I'm tempted to pick up my phone. I use it as my alarm clock. But what I've started doing, like especially on Sunday, I do my very best to set it to where the Bible app is already open and my message notes are open on my phone. And so when I turn it over and I unlock it, there's something already there. And so I begin to read. And so you've got to trick yourself. Some of you need to get better at tricking yourself into sitting at the table with Jesus. So I'll trick myself into it because if not, it's so easy to open Instagram or to start reading the news or to open your email. And you know what? Email's never a great thing to look at first thing in the morning. There's always somebody that doesn't like you or something you can't afford that they want you to buy. It's always there, right? And so maybe you just have to stop. What's a reset? Just, it's just a stop for a minute. Just, just, let, just let the mercy of the Lord wash over your heart for a second. You're going to go right back into the craziness. He's not always just going to take you out of the circumstances because you sat at the table. But if you'll sit at the table, it will prepare your heart for the battle that you're about to walk into. So maybe you just need to stop so you can start. I challenge you. I want to challenge you in this room today. Be present this week with the people in your life. Get clear so that you can look people in the eye and love them again and care what's going on. Now, look at verse 40 again. Here's what it says. Martha was distracted by this big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said this, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister sits here while while I do all the work? And see, she may or may not have said this out loud before this, but she was thinking it. And as soon as you let this kind of thought process enter your mind, it's only a matter of time before it impacts your attitude and how you treat other people. Even though she was literally serving the Lord, I get to serve and use my gifts. Jesus sitting in my house, she was wrestling. And so she really made it out to be about Mary. Jesus, Mary's causing problems in my life right now. You might be a Martha if, here's the third one, you tend to blame others for your lack of peace. Now, I'm not trying to meddle, and I'm not trying to tick anybody off, but you know what? Mary, Martha made Mary out to be her biggest problem. Do you know who Martha's biggest problem was? Martha. Martha was Martha's biggest problem in the story. Years ago, I was reading a John Maxwell leadership book. I was probably 22, 23 years old. I was reading it, and, and I came across something that stuck with me forever. He, he wrote what's called the Bob Principle, and here's what it says. If Bob has a problem with everyone, Bob is usually the problem. I wonder if Martha had a Martha. It could have been the Martha principle back in the first century. Martha seemed to have a problem with everybody. I'm just going to say this. If that's you, you can recover. You can find peace again. But you've you got to be honest with yourself, though. If you find at fault with everybody around you, some people do this to churches. Every church they go to, they find 17 things that they didn't like. Or 17 things they wish were like the church that they didn't like that they came from. And I'm like, why did you leave, man? Like, go back. (laughs) You want us to do all the things that you didn't like about there? And you know what I find? I've learned to pity and just have compassion because I've been there myself. I've been Bob and I've been Martha. But you got to admit it, though. If you tend to find fault with everything and everybody and you put your lack of peace on other people, that's on you. Why is that? Because our peace is not dependent as believers on circumstances. Our peace is dependent on the Spirit of God that dwells in us. You can be in the middle of living hell, and because you have the Spirit of God in you, you can somehow have peace. I've watched it. I've watched people suffering with cancer. I've watched people who lost a loved one unexplained. And listen, I was more broken than they were in the moment. They were grieving and they were hurting, but the Spirit of God came and almost put a bubble of peace around their heart in that moment. And you go, there's a God, I see it. You've seen it before. If you've watched God do this with people, you've watched it. As followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit, your peace is not dependent on another person. It's only dependent on the Spirit of God. That's why we have to learn to sit at the table. Now, did you notice that attitude that Martha had here towards Mary? See, I, I kind of read a lot of of, of scholars and, and uh, people that had written about this story over the years. And here's what most of them said was likely that Mary was very hard worker too she would have had to been by nature in that day and it could have been that she had worked all day she kind of worked out a deal maybe with Martha like hey I'll vacuum the floors and I'll clean the toilets and you make the chicken and dumplings all right We got this deal going. Well, it could have been that Mary just got up early and worked her rear off because she knows Jesus is coming. I want to be ready when he gets here to be able to sit down. So I'm going to get all my chores done and get ready uh, for that. And so we don't think she was lazy. We just think she probably did what mattered when it mattered. That's kind of how Jesus did. But Martha's attitude towards Mary, it gave me another you might be a Martha if. Here it is. You do the right things, but usually with the wrong attitude. Woo-hoo-hoo! I know I'm talking to somebody who knows Jesus this morning. The church is notorious for this. Well, because I'm a believer, brother, I'm going to do the right thing. Well, praise the Lord. I'm not saying you should do the wrong thing. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, man, when our attitude stinks, people don't care if you're doing the right thing or not. They're like, that person's a jerk. We should do the right things with the right attitude more often and then we'll actually have the light of Christ. I wonder why people don't want Jesus anymore. I wonder why they see the church and they go, yeah, they're holy livers, but let me tell you what, they're holy rollers, don't be around them because they're jerks too. But what if we started to live in such a way where we were living a holy life, but at the same time we just had this attitude of love coming from our heart? Man, we get into these ruts where we do the right things, but we do it with the wrong attitude. And I mean, I think sometimes we talk ourselves into the idea that Jesus is going, I'm so proud of you. And I think he's going, man, you're a jerk. Like, I'm glad you're doing the right thing. I know I'm speaking to somebody, though. You know, when God puts someone in your heart to share, and you're like, I don't really want to say that, God. I asked Courtney if I could say this, because in... July, we were married for 20, 25 years, on July 26th, got it all right. July 26th, we were married for 25 years, and um, it, was a, it was a Tuesday. And so we actually had celebrated when we were at the beach this summer, because we knew you know, we are going to be back into a busy time, and so we were just going to take that one night and kind of celebrate, and we got you know, gifts and things we were going to do. Do you know what happened that day? My attitude turned south. I was doing the right things with a bad attitude. And guess what happened on our 25th anniversary? We got in the biggest fight we've been in in 10 years. Are you supposed to say that as a pastor? No. You're supposed to tell everybody, I love Jesus. I love my wife like Jesus loves the church. I do. I, love, I do love her. And she knows that. I'm talking about the kind of fight where I slammed the door and I got in my truck and said, I'm going to the church. This is on my anniversary, my 25th anniversary. And I left her at home crying and yelling at me too. We were like going, and I said, could I tell you what it was about? Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-mm. I couldn't tell you anything. All I felt like is like the devil showed up in my house, and here we are yelling at each other. I'm like, well, fine, then. I'm going to the church, and I slam the door, and I'm going to tell you what happened. I came down here, and I was like, she is so, I can't believe her yelling at me. I can't believe on oh, my anniversary, she wants to treat me like that. And I, was, I got right here. I was at this spot right here, and I was like, God, I can't believe this. You know what? God was knocking on my heart the whole time, and I was like, not listening. I'm talking right now, God. <laughs> And so I'm back and forth and I'm like, she, I cannot believe. And, and I saw she was texting me. I'm like, I'm not going to answer her right now. I'm being way too real for some of y'all this morning, I know. But I'm going back and forth and I'm right here. And finally, finally, the Holy Spirit just said, hey, that's fine. Keep that attitude if you want to. And then he started reminding me what I had. And sometimes, guys, we can lose sight of that for a minute when our attitude gets raunchy. But I found myself right here on my knees and I began... To just like weep before the Lord and God said, you need, you need to get in your truck and go back home. And I went and she met me at the door and just, you know, all I can say is the enemy attacked. And it was attitude. I'd been doing the right things all day long for, and, and with right things but wrong attitude. Bad attitude I walked in with. And you know what? We went back home and we almost laughed later. Like, what was that about? I can tell you one thing. It's about the enemy would love to destroy any healthy relationship in your life. He would love that. But let me uh, let me let somebody learn from my experience. Listen to God. He was trying to talk to me for like 10 minutes, and I was miserable holding on to my pride the whole time like it was all her fault, knowing I was wrong. It never is, guys. It's never all her fault, by the way. There's all my junk this morning. Attitude. Let me tell you the attitude. This is a verse God brought to mind many times when I was wrestling with attitude. It's Philippians 2 where Paul describes the attitude of a follower of Jesus. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And if you go on to read it, it's an attitude of humility, one that took him to the cross for the people he loved. So, one last thing here. Jesus said that Mary had found it and that seem to imply that, Martha, you're missing it. Martha could have been cooking away and listening, but all the worry and anxiety about many things, Jesus said it was keeping her away from it. Well, what was it? It was worship. It's really what it was. It, it, it was worship. Your busyness and your distracted and you're preoccupied and your attitude, it's all keeping you from worship. So let me give you another, you, the last one, you might be a Martha if, and here it is. Your worry is bigger than your worship. Now you want to talk about anxiety struggles. Jesus is at her house and here she is still troubled. Why should you focus on worry? Why why, why must we flip this on a set? Instead let my worry be bigger than my worship and my anxiety be bigger. Why do you have to flip it? It's because worship changes your heart. I know that I'm looking at people that wrestle with anxiety. You're looking at a guy that has bouts with it. And so it's no longer isolated around. There's a lot of people that, for whatever reason, it seems to be like the new age of attack of the enemy. It's this weird anxiety that can come over you. And and for some of you, maybe it's just like overwhelming anxiety that hits you all the time. Here's one of the things that Mary seemed to be wrestling with even more than cooking in the kitchen that day and all the things that was going on physically. It it was what was going on inside her heart. Her mental health, her anxiety that was kicking up and the trouble that she how troubled she was inside and she had let her worry outgrow her worship and it said Jesus says here you know Mary figure out it. Martha you've missed it. You've missed making your worship be bigger than your worry. Worship changes your heart and mind. It realigns you. It's not that you still don't have the same problems when you get up from that moment of worship. Let me give you an example. You're going to leave here today and I pray for miracles. If there's a miracle you need in your life, it'd be great if you were to, you know, write me a message or tell me, God answered a miracle prayer that I've been praying. But usually, we're going to walk back to a lot of the same circumstances that we came in here from. Why is it important to let your worship be bigger than your worry? It's because it sets your heart right. In order to walk back to the financial struggle, the health struggle, the family struggle the job struggle, wherever you are, it just sets your heart right so that you can walk back out again into the world. Worship changes you. Get into the word. Crank up the worship music. If you don't think it's important what kind of music you put in your head, especially in these moments where you just like are overwhelmed, turn on something that'll feed your soul for a minute. Let your worship be bigger than your worry. As we close, I want to point out something today. Jesus, Jesus didn't say this, but he seems to have implied it throughout. Mary was sitting at the table with Jesus. Jesus seems to have implied the whole time that like, hey, Martha, there's a seat for you too. She never sat down in it that we saw, but he didn't say you can't sit down. Sometimes I wonder if Martha should have just made the decision. You know what? Chicken and dumplings are good and green beans and all this stuff I'm cooking. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing today? you find yourself being more like Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus? Worshiping, letting your worship be bigger than your worry? Being present and not being distracted? Or do you find yourself like Martha? Here's the thing, the story's not meant to beat us up. In fact, I don't, I don't think Jesus was trying to beat Martha up in the story. I think she could have just kept serving and cooking and, and preparing the meal and also listening to Jesus. But Mary, it says, Jesus said she did the thing that mattered. She found it. She found what it was, what was really important in that room. And so here's the beauty of it. No matter where you find yourself in the story, whether you're the Mary or you're the Martha, there's a seat at the table for you. So to show you what it looks like, you know, at the table of Jesus, you can convince yourself that you don't belong there, that you don't have time to be there, that you can't just sit and be in this Word. You can't have a prayer time or a journaling time, that you you can't just sit and reflect before the Lord for a few minutes of your day, that you can't mark out a day each week where you spend time just worshiping the Lord. The enemy comes and tells us that, we tell ourselves that, but here's what Jesus does. I can just see Him in our heart pulling out the chair and saying, hey this is for you maybe this is for somebody and you've been hurt and you hadn't been back in church for a while and this is your invitation saying, hey there's still room for you you're so busy and so distracted but God's saying, come on I got a seat prepared for you and ultimately Jesus paid uh, the price for us to sit at this table he gave his life on the cross in order that we may be able to come and sit at his table and have the peace of his spirit in the middle of our trials be able to have healing when we need it, to be able to have a comforter to sit with us and speak over us, speak his word over us. But but the deal is, as long as the chair is empty, you will miss the blessing of being a follower of Christ. And so here's the invitation today. It's time for you to sit at the table. What does that look like? Well, it means getting up a little bit earlier this week or setting aside some time just to come and say, Jesus, before I get into the craziness of my day, I'm just going to sit and be with you. Let me just sit and take it in for a minute. Sit and be reminded that God is bigger than your worries. Sit and be reminded that that you're talking in this moment to the one who can heal all brokenness, whether physical or physical or mental. But you got to decide to bring it to the table. Bring yourself to the table and sit. You know what else maybe for you? You just didn't realize there's an invitation for even you. You felt too broken to sit at Jesus' table. You felt too ashamed. And he's going, hey, because I paid the price for you, there's a seat at the table for you. Come on and sit. How do you do that today? You come and just full surrender to him. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And maybe for the first time you sit at the table with Jesus and he slides up next to you and says, talk to me. He begins to speak his love over you and his grace over your life. If that's you today, man, I pray that even today you'll let somebody know that I'm ready to sit at the table with Jesus. Or this week, if you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been just sitting in his presence, you haven't been able to just let his peace flood over you. Make a plan right now. Make a commitment and say, God, I want to sit with you this week. I want to start my day with you. I want to get time, maybe even throughout your day. You may have a tough day ahead. You may have to find some time throughout the day just to to pull out the chair and and have some prayer time or have some word time. or Just sit alone for a moment. Let the Lord's love speak over you. However you have to do it, I encourage you this week. Listen, there is a chair for you at the table of jesus all it takes is you deciding that you want to sit in it know this you are loved there are people right here at riverbend that are for you you matter i pray you have a great week thank you for listening to the riverbend church podcast to learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect you can head over to our website riverbendchurch.life